shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, another exciting episode of Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the Super Bowl. We're recording uh, just after the Super Bowl, and i got to tell you, it was one of those Super Bowls that really kind of made you think about, oh my gosh, what are people thinking? And with that, with that, oh my gosh, what are people thinking? Let's go ahead and bring in our co-host, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, man. I'm, I'm happy to see that Pete Carroll finally won a Super Bowl for the Patriots. Uh, it took a little while. He, he had to leave to do it. But uh, right. congratulations, Pete. You, you did a good job. How about that? I mean, you, uh, you, pulled, you pulled defeat out of the jaws of victory. Uh, with that last minute play, how about that? Yeah, you know, you know, I don't know. You darned if you do, darned if you don't. Thing, you know, everyone can. They could just as easily say, "Hey, you know, uh, everyone expects you to run uh, Marshawn Lynch uh, on the goal lines, you know, uh, first and goal kind of situation." And so they'd, you know, they'd stack the box. So why not pass? You, you want to do what they don't expect, but well, it burned him the wrong way, and and you know that's that's why I pay him the big bucks so that's he right. can he can um, weather that criticism. That's right, and uh, we're armchair quarterbacking right now, and that's one of the oh, yeah. things that we probably shouldn't do. We don't do it for EMS. We shouldn't do it for football. But speaking about EMS, it's time to go. Uh, it's time to go yep. in the news. So why don't you bring us our first story? Yeah, and speaking of armchair quarterbacking, I'm going to engage in a little bit of it, but without pointing fingers. There is there's a story uh, from uh, yesterday out of Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, an ambulance with a patient in cardiac arrest flipped on its side en route to Carolina East Medical Center. Apparently, a truck T-boned them at an intersection, flipped, flipped the ambulance on its side, and both crew members were injured. The patient later, and they were doing uh, doing CPR in a moving ambulance, which is, you know, as we know, is, is somewhat dangerous. You not can't very well stay belted in while you're working a code. And we don't know if they were uh, who's at fault here, and, and we don't know whether the uh, the cardiac arrest victim was in arrest when he was loaded in the ambulance. He could have coded somewhere in route. But it brings to mind the the whole issue of why are we transporting cardiac arrest patients? Dead people. Um, dead people. Yeah, yeah. Why are we taking dead people to the hospital when when an overwhelming body of evidence demonstrates that they do better on scene. Your, your chances of survival, your chances of a successful resuscitation are better if you work them where they lay and only transport if you get ROSC. You know, this was in Greenville and another part of the state got, you've got another EMS agency in North Carolina down, down there in Asheboro who has discovered that, hey, if we work our people on scene in, uh, in Randolph County, if we work them on scene and don't transport until we get ROSC, we have we have a, a lot better uh, saves or a lot more saves for cardiac arrest. They had three times more saves during the first six months of 2014 than they had in all of 2013. The data is pretty clear. I, I don't know if the the poor guys in um, in Greenville were um, coding a dead person or whether the person arrested en route. And uh, we're sorry that the the person died after the accident. We hope the EMTs uh, and and med make a make a full recovery but it just highlights the dangers uh, for very little benefit of, of transporting cardiac arrest patients 
Yeah, and you know, one of the things that we got to think about, and there's EMS agencies, MedStar for one, down in Fort Worth, Texas, that they don't take a cardiac arrest patient lights and sirens to the hospital. You know, one of the things that we thought about up here and we've kind of been toying with is to work the code on the scene. And if we have to uh, transport, you had to have a return of spontaneous circulation mm-hmm. for X amount of time before you even put them on the stretcher. Yeah. And I think we really need to kind of think about that as a future because are we really making a difference in getting people to the hospital? I mean, what's those percentage of times, you know, depending on your, your uh, return of spontaneous circulation and what your survival rate is there? But I think we need to stop thinking about, you know, loading and going and start mm-hmm. to consider the fact of what are we really going to do or what are they really going to do in the hospital that we can't do on scene? You and I talked about that a, a few weeks mm-hmm. back when we were talking about transporting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things where I think we have to finally change the paradigm and say, work the code unseen when you get a return of spontaneous circulation and it's lasted for five or seven minutes, load them on and let's get them to the hospital. I think then right. you have a better opportunity for success of, uh, you know, a survival. You know, the, the magic resuscitation fairy does not greet the patient at the door of the emergency department. There's there's no magic that goes on in there for a cardiac for a medical cardiac arrest victim. There's no magic that goes on in that emergency department that that a paramedic cannot provide. My employer tripled their cardiac arrest survival rates, uh, survival to hospital discharge neurologically intact, tripled them in five years by two simple things. They de-emphasized intubation, they started working every patient on scene, and only transport when they get ROSC. It works. It's pretty clear that it works, and that's the patient's best chance of survival. But once again, we, we hope the guys in, in Greenville uh, are okay, and they're back to work soon, and, right. and uh, good luck to you guys. My story goes to get back to Arizona, man. You know, we were just talking about the Super Bowl and and, uh, Rural Metro preparing for Ambulance Union strike again. And and we kind of talked about this last week. You know, the NFL Players Association came out in support of the paramedics down there in Arizona. And, you know, the local I-60 chapter of the International Firefighters Association have about 800 employees. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're thinking about going out on strike because Rural Metro's just just not getting back to the table. And the reason that I want to beat this dead horse is because the, the byline of yesterday's article was a contingency plan is being made to staff ambulance with fire department medics if there's a strike. And, and I, I just, it boggles my mind. There shouldn't even be the talk of a strike. There has to be the way to keep people at the table, to keep the ambulance rolling, to ensure that those citizens get the highest mm-hmm. quality of patient care. This isn't about ego. This is about doing the right thing. You've got a multi-million dollar organization in rural metro. If money's owed, money's owed. And I just don't understand it, Kelly. I mean, every time I hear about this story, it just kind of makes my blood boil that we can't get any, and when I say we, we as a career field can't get any support from those people who were signing those paychecks for us. And and as you said last week, that if there was a better retirement system, maybe more people would stay at EMS for a career. Exactly. You know, and and from everything that I've read, the the retirement benefits, what is it, $8 million uh, in retirement benefits that they are owed was part of an existing agreement. 
um, it was already in place and, and I don't know the specifics of, of why Rural Metro uh, feels like it's uh, it, they don't have to uh, uh, adhere to that uh, agreement but you know in my mind fair or unfair deals a deal uh, at one point that, that that was promised to these guys and I don't think it's fair to to take it away um, and, and you, you know if I were I'm, I'm not suggesting anyone do anything uh, but if I were if I were a fire department paramedic in, in uh, Arizona and, and asked to staff a rural metro unit uh, I'm not a big fan of unions but I'd, I'd have some serious trepidation about uh, about staffing one of those units. I wouldn't want to be a scab. And let me ask you a question, and I want to get your opinion on this. In the article, it talks about that the Arizona Department of Health Services would expedite the process to state licensure for potential rural metro employees who are coming from out of state. How do you feel about that? Because i got to tell you, that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Because I, I think that as we work with our health services, the Department of Health Services, I think there should be a little bit of support there as well. Yeah. You know, basically, what they're saying is we don't care who works the trucks. Let's just make sure the trucks are running. And, and I'm I'm interested in your opinion about that. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, basically uh, the states the state has said, hey, we'll help you get scabs. Uh, no problem there. Um, <laughs> you know, I you'd think that the uh, the state would err or the state would favor the side of uh, of the EMTs that work there, the EMTs and medics who work there, rather than um, the uh, the company. But you know, I don't think the state has any any business delving into that. If I ask you another, you know, if if someone were to to want certification in Arizona and and there wasn't a threatened strike, a looming strike, would the state be so accommodating yeah, in expediting point. paperwork? Yeah, good point. If, if that answer is no, then you need to keep your nose out of it and right. and let them hash it out amongst themselves. Crazy, crazy. Yep, All right, yep. go ahead and give us our next one. There's a story uh, from today about uh, Brian Stowe's attackers facing more prison time, which is just warms the cockles of my little paramedic heart because these guys need to spend as much time uh, as we can possibly have them in, in prison. These two guys uh, that beat Brian Stowe, uh, they're already serving time for the beating, and it wasn't enough time in my mind, but now they face up to 10 years in federal prison for possession of firearms. Shocker of shockers, they at weren't the just two drunken fans. And those, if, if those of you don't remember Brian Stowe, he was the paramedic. He was a San Francisco Giants fan. He was at Dodger Stadium, and mm -hmm. two guys severely beat him uh, unconscious. And so that's what we're referring to. But, you know, the, the firearm thing, Kelly, and I'm not familiar with the article, was it th at the time of the beating they had the firearms? Is this no, subsequently after? It was. It was. They were felons in possession of firearms, which is federally prohibitive. You, once you've, you've been convicted of a violent felony, you lose your right to own a firearm. Whether you agree with that or not, that's the law of the land. And, you know, you got two felons who were, who were owned firearms, and now they face up to 10 extra years uh, of federal rap for having those firearms. And, and here's hoping they uh, get the book thrown at them and, and serve every bit of that 10 years. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, these guys are definitely not choir boys who just had a little bit too much to drink and, and had a disagreement with, with Brian Stowe. Right. Uh, they, were, they were thugs. Um, and they did thug things. And yeah. 
and one of the things that I think we got to think about is, you know, I, I have season tickets to the St. Louis Blues hockey mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the best teams in the NHL right now. And I got to tell you, you're probably going to Stanley Cup playoffs. But anyway, let's, I digress. Well, you have to have season tickets to because the Rams suck. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get off that. But, you know, but one of the things I think is important is you get fans from other teams all the time. And I think you have some fun with them. You know, you, you yeah. know, we, I, last year at the playoffs when the, the Blues were playing Chicago Blackhawks, I was sitting next to two guys with Chicago Blackhawks jersey on. And we gave each other crap the whole game. But you know what? I mean, that's just all in good fun. You know, mm-hmm. if you're drinking and if you're having a good time, how does that turn into a beating? And I yeah. think we got to remember that, that sometimes, I mean, we're not 20 years old anymore where we can just fight everybody when we feel like we have to. We've got to be able to respect people, whether we whether we agree with the way they're going through life or not, we should still respect the people that are making decisions different than ours. And, you know, this could have been very easily, uh, you know, put off instead of, you know, this gentleman winding up with brain damage because of, you know, differences of uh, sports teams. Yeah, you know, and we're we're passionate about our football and passionate about our, our sports uh, uh, rivalries. Um, but you know, the things like uh, the Brian Stowe uh, beating are actually fairly rare in the United States. And I think we, you know, we know how to root for our team without being thugs about it. This we're you don't see many many soccer hooligan riots in the United States, and I think that's a good thing. So. That's because nobody plays soccer in the United States. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's time. Let's go ahead and transition. Let's Kelly, do it. it's time to take a seat at the guest table. Why don't you go ahead and set that up for us? Well, we're excited to welcome Brian Foss from Fit Responder and uh, EMS One uh, Fitness Columnist to the table, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about some strategies for remaining fit and remaining slim and trim and in, in, in fighting shape on the ambulance. Brian, welcome to the show. I'm here. Hey, man, thanks for coming on again. And, and uh, you know, we appreciate it. You're getting to be a staple on Inside EMS. And, uh, you know, you've got a lot of great information that, you know, we want to try to take advantage of. And I appreciate you coming back on and uh, sharing that knowledge with us. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be asked back. As, uh, as I've been realizing more and more, um, I appreciate the fact that you guys want to be part of the resistance. And, and by saying that, I mean, uh, I, we're pushing topics to people that they don't necessarily want to hear. So um, bringing awareness about and, and, and helping them move forward is definitely the way it needs to go. That's funny, man. We're part of the resistance, Kelly. That's it. Well, you know, and, and I I've lost track of how many resistance movements I'm a part of, but I'm happy to be part of this. <laughs> <That's one. awesome. laughs> hey, you know, Brad, I, I want to touch on something specific, you know. Let's talk about nutrition, because it seems like nutrition is one of those things that we have a lot of challenges with in the EMS career field. I mean, you know, we, we try to sit down and eat, you know, the tones go off, we don't get back to our food until it's cold, you know, so the alternatives are, you know, we have to go to the fast food restaurants, we have to, you know, kind of eat where we can. And one of the things I want to ask you about is portion control. And do you have a sense of why do we overeat? Oh, I've got a really good sense of why we overeat. And and when I say this, everybody usually has an aha moment. And, and I started like this. We've been programmed to overeat. If you think about it, when we were when we were being raised, what was the first thing you were told to do when you set when you were sitting at the table and you didn't want to eat anymore? 
Take clean my elbows plate. off the table. Clean your plate. Oh, clean, clean the plate. Plate. Hand it down from your from your grandmother to your mother. Your mother handed it down to you. I knew I know better than to tell my child to, to overeat. But you know what? He doesn't finish his plate, and I find myself sitting there telling him that you can't get up till you're done eating. So what we've done is we have literally created generation after generation of overeaters. And you know where it came from? The Great Depression. They didn't have enough food, so God forbid you should get up and leave something on your plate. Yeah, right. And we have handed that down. So what's happened is we've created a society that feels like you're not full unless you're busting a gut, buttons popping off your pants, have to go lay on the couch and go into some hyperglycemic coma. We've created that type of of a mindset and a feeling. So really, we overeat because we've been programmed to do it. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, you know, the cause of my overeating is just plain flat boredom, and and I've I've long been in the habit of of eating when I didn't have anything better uh, to do. And that's a great that's a great thing to bring up because I got to mm-hmm. tell you, there are sometimes I know I'm not hungry. I'm putting food in my mouth because it's like the thing to do, but I just ate like two and a half hours ago. Oh yeah, I I gained thirty three pounds in a fifteen week paramedic course. Oh my because I, I was literally eating every moment that I was awake because, uh, heck, half the time it was something to do to stay awake. And, and I, I turned into a pig uh, in that 15 and developed digestive problems and gastric reflux and everything else where I'd previously been fairly healthy. And, and the pattern has repeated itself since then. And, you know, working, working nights in an SSM system where you're sitting on a street corner and there aren't healthy choices in the, uh, around in the first place, Oh, my, that's my kryptonite. I turn, I'm turning into Job of the Hut. Hey, so is that is that more, Brian? Maybe you have a sense of this. Is instead of that being boredom, is that more stress? It's actually a combination of the two. This will sound like a shameless plug, but if, if you go on my website, fitresponder.com, and then go into the the article section, which is more mm-hmm. is basically blog posts, somewhere buried in there are two charts that describe stress eating mm-hmm. and fatigue eating. Now, stress eating and fatigue eating have different mechanisms. There's different chemical mechanisms that cause you to eat what you eat. But if you think about it, when you're tired, what do you crave? Grease, sweet, carbs, everything that's bad for you. Refined foods, sugars, all the nasty stuff that we know we shouldn't eat. You've just described my food pyramid. Yep. And it's actually, it, it, there's a lot of science behind it yeah. that people who work consistently night shifts tend to live shorter lives. They eat foods that are not as healthy because we're off of our normal circadian rhythm. We're made to be awake during the day, not at night. And then you throw stress eating in on top of it, which is, is really high sugar, high carb, yeah. high fat. And you wonder why people that come into EMS and they're in a a modicum of some physical condition and they've been in the street for three years and they look like two different people. Yep. So there's a lot of of science behind it. I think part of that is an education piece. We need to be teaching people in EMT school and paramedic school, this is what's going to happen to you and here's why and here's how you fix it. I, I actually uh, I do something along those lines. I, I put up a, in the health and wellness uh, well-being of the EMT section, I put up a before picture of Kelly Grayson <laughs> and say, okay, this is me before EMS. Now this is me after EMS. Any questions? Do you want to avoid, <laughs> do you 
want to avoid that uh, avoid that transformation. Yeah, I, I didn't know there was such a thing. Now that's the first time I've I've heard of uh, of a such thing as fatigue eating, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, oh yeah, and, and that um, that is my pattern. Um, yeah, I mean, I taught I taught a class at I don't remember what EMS conference it was, but the entire course was on the difference between stress eating, fatigue eating, and how to manage your portions with the healthy foods so that you don't fall victim to what's naturally occurring yeah. in your body. You know, so I've, I've for for years considered myself the the Dewey Oxburger of EMS. You know, I swallow a lot of stress and a lot of cheeseburgers. Uh, right. The obligatory well, stripes reference. We have to get right, that. Right, That's right. <clears throat> you know, and that kind of brings up that other question: is you know, either how do I control myself from eating more than I need, or or you know, what what's the portion? Because okay. that's really what kind of ties that all together, and. You know, it, since we've been programmed to overeat, you know, the thing I teach people is is portion control is huge. So as an example, I always use my my uh, my steakhouse as an example, which would be off-duty eating. So let's say you go to your, your favorite steak restaurant, and you're going to order their signature steak, which I'll throw this out as a question. How big is that signature steak? How many ounces? 24. Yeah, 20 to 24 for me. 20 to 24. So... <laughs> Let, let's let's keep the math simple. Let's say you're, you you uh, didn't have a lot of overtime the week before, so you can only afford the eight ounce steak. That eight ounce steak is two complete meals worth of protein. Is it really? Yep. Everything else is what makes us fat, causes heart disease, inflammation, injury, all the things that we see. So w- one of the things we have to realize is when you eat out, everything they serve you is usually double to triple the normal portion. And if you think about it, is a restaurant, are they looking out for your best interest? No. No, they're not. No, they're a for-profit business. So what are they serving you? The cheapest carbohydrate that's going to fill you up, but that's going to make them the greatest profit. So that's why your steak, which is usually three to four meals worth of protein, also comes with this big, gigantic baked potato, Right. And don't forget the blooming onion and the oh cheese yeah, yeah, fries. Yeah. You got it right. So think about it this can way: I get a, can I get a drink potato? with that? Can, can, is this the time to, to, to get some <laughs> drinks over here? <laughs> so that baked potato in a restaurant to your body, that baked mm-hmm. potato is about fifteen cubes of sugar. Are you Oy. serious? That much? Yes, yes. But think about it though: we're Americans. What do we have to put on top of our sugar cubes? Uh, Fat, butter, and sour cream. Butter, bacon, sour cream, all this (laughs) other nasty stuff that we know we really shouldn't be eating. It tastes good, but we basically are adding fat and calories to the sugar cubes. So right there, we can look at substitution, we can look at portion control, and we can quickly learn that, all right, I don't need to eat that baked potato, or if I do, I'm going to scrape out the sugar cubes and I'm going to eat the multivitamin that's wrapped around it, which is the skin. And instead of maybe ordering that baked potato, why not get a second side of steamed broccoli? Just okay. as healthy, you'll be you'll actually be hungry sooner, which we want. We want you to burn calories sitting on your butt. And the only way you can do that is to eat small, timed-out portions. You know, one of the other mantras we use is only eat to 80% full. Yeah, but how do you know that? How do you know what's 80%? It takes time. And here here's the here's the real conundrum with this one. As medics, can we put down a whole lot of food in a really short period of time? Yeah, of course oh, we God. have to because we got to yeah, get it's, ready for it's, the next call. It's a survival mechanism. So right. part of it is the mindfulness of understanding off-duty eating versus on-duty eating. 
when you okay, so don't have a pager strapped on your hip, or you don't have a radio microphone, you know, lapel mic on, slow the hell down. You have to be mindful of it, though. The other thing we teach is this, and it's really easy when you go out. Take everything on your plate that the restaurant serves you, mm-hmm. cut it in half, put it in a box, and close the lid. You just protected you from you. Yeah. And now you your portions are about where they should be. You're saving money. And when you're hungry in about three hours, which is your metabolism starting to kick up, mm-hmm. now you can eat twice. So what's the difference then? I mean, if, if I'm going to eat this, the, that whole meal anyway – in three hours after that, is there a difference of not just sitting there and eating it all at once? And then maybe Absolutely. I'm not hungry in three hours. But that, see, we weren't made in, in our modern society now where we're very sedentary. Mm-hmm. We weren't made to eat that high concentration of calories and fat and protein. Your body can't handle it. That's why. That's one of the reasons that there's such an epidemic of obesity. Is because we eat food, quantities of food meant for hours and hours and hours of hard labor, yet we don't do hard labor. So we're not burning it off. So the key, the secret is eat smaller portions more frequently. And what you're doing is you keep your metabolism revved up all the time. You know, sometimes you just can't control yourself, man. You just want to eat everything you see on the plate. Well, okay, so that brings up the next piece of portion control, though. So we have, we have, eating out where you cut everything in half put a lid on it don't see it anymore when you eat at home right because we've been programmed to overeat uh-huh. all right now this is the biggest thing people push back on because it, it's a bit of a of a mind trick but the simplest thing you can do is those big plates you eat supper off of uh-huh. take them put them in the pantry put them in the closet shut the door don't ever use them again and use the small plates eat the small plates now the normal question is how high can i stack it how much, how much fiber is in a small plate? Well, <laughs> you don't need the plate, Kelly. You don't need the plate. don't need the plate. <laughs> oh, well, crap. Then. You know, so, so the normal question, of course, is, is how high can I stack the food on it? But obviously, mm-hmm. if you have to ask that, you've missed the point. But yeah. what it's doing is, again, we have that, that mental image of I have to take whatever we cooked at home and I have to fill that plate up. You failed right there. You know, when, I, when I'm home, I mean, right now I'm in a hotel room. I was with an EMS client today. I've got to be with them again tomorrow. I went out for, for, to dinner. I got my portion, got a to-go box, brought it back to the hotel. I had dinner about two hours ago. When we get off this call, I will probably have my other half. And I'm burning calories. I get to eat more than I normally would. I feel good. It's, it's really easy to do. It just takes some mindfulness. You have to be aware of it. You know, one of the things we tell people, like at home, get your spouse or your or your, your significant other involved in it, because it's a lot easier if you're both doing it. Man, my wife's from the south, and she loves to cook with butter, and she'll tell you that. So she doesn't really care about how healthy I am. But I got to tell you, one of the things, Brian, that I've been doing, and it really kind of opened my eyes, was you know I, I'm kind of getting older now. I'll be 50 this year, and my body weight's high. It was 243, and I'm five foot nine. There's no way I should weigh two. 243 at five foot nine and I, I downloaded an app that allows me to count my calories and in the past uh, I gotta say 17 days I've lost almost 12 pounds by not eating the things that I would normally eat you have no idea how many calories you're putting in your mouth 
until you start tracking them. And, and that's what's been amazing. And I got to tell you, it's really kind of been a, uh, you know, kind of an eye opener for me. And, uh, you know, we think about portion control and we think about uh, on and off duty eating and, and why do we overeat? I think you've given us a lot of great things to kind of think about. And if folks wanted to find out a little bit more about you and Fit Responder, how can they do that? Oh, we got a couple things. You can go on to fitresponder.com. From there, there's a ton of different blog posts. There's links on fitresponder.com to our mobile fitness app, which is fitrespondorfitness.com. And if you're really, really interested in the nutrition portion of it, we have a book that you can get on our website as well that has a complete 52-week exercise program, but it also has a, a about a 90-page section of the book is nothing but nutrition as it applies to public safety, as well as calorie tracking and meal tracking, as you just brought up. That's awesome. And one of the things that we love about Fit Responder is that you will build a personal uh, program for any individual who's out there and who's interested in uh, getting uh, getting that service. Absolutely. Awesome, man. It's always great to have you here. Kelly, I don't know about you, man, but I'm going out for that 24-ounce steak. He doesn't intimidate me one bit. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and get us out of here, and we'll uh, get ready for another show next week. Yeah, uh, Brian. Brian has an ally in my girlfriend, so uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna have to forego the uh, 24 ounce steak. But guys, we we thank you once again for tuning in to Inside EMS, and thanks for Brian Fast for uh, being on the show. And as always, we'd love to hear your concerns, comments, suggestions, and weigh in on the issue of uh, fitness and nutrition for EMS responders. Give us your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for co-host Chris Ciballero and myself. I'm Kelly Grayson, and we're out of here. Catch you next week.